Mr. Michael Dickinson. And we are, of course, the DFS Army Fantasy Football Show. I'm your host, Flex Shane. Mike, it has been a long and tumultuous road to the fantasy football playoffs, but we are entering week 15. How how many uh, leagues are you in your playoffs in? Like, how many playoffs are you, are you playing here? I made playoffs in about a third of my leagues, which is which is far below what I usually hit. Usually, I'm about half to two thirds. Um, I'm in. I'm not Seslowski level, but I'm. I think between yeah. dynasty, between dynasty and redraft, I'm in about 21 leagues. So, with the number of leagues like that, and the way that the way that I like to play, I like to spread out my exposure. So, mm. because I have pieces of almost every single guy, it's tough to have spots where it's tough to make it's tough to make the playoffs in every single spot but i had a typically i had a typically poor year in redraft this year if we're being candid we're being candid right out of the yeah, game no it's okay obviously you weren't using the dfs army uh draft tools because if you're using those tools then you would have been doing pretty well i missed the playoffs in two of my leagues one of my dynasty leagues i missed where i was oh no jen you're out everywhere that's not good it's because you let flex matt help you draft your redraft leagues that's that's yeah. that's the problem right there um, no, I missed my I missed my playoffs in, in two leagues. Honestly, one of the more devastating ones was so it's it's my home league. It's a ten person league, and I was in the like in the hunt like in the lead most of the season, and then literally the last week of the season I got knocked out. Um, Raheem Mostert was like whatever five minutes of glory, basically kicked my ass out. So nobody cares about our fantasy teams, though, Mike. But listen, we're here today to reflect on the path to the 2023 playoffs, everything that we do is it comes down to decisions from our drafts to our waiver acquisitions to our start, start sit decisions. It's all about our weekly decisions and a bunch of micro decisions leading up to here. So overall, there's definitely trends. There's definitely overarching strategies that we'll kind of discuss on the show today, such as zero QB. We're going to talk about some of the different systems, but we basically broke it down into 10 things that you and I wanted to reflect on. And Mike, since you're, you're late to the program here, why don't you give me your first item that you wanted to reflect on? My first item to reflect on was the fact that the first round this year was an absolute freaking landmine. Totally. But, what I'll say to that, though, is that every single team had a first-round draft pick, and in most of your leagues, half your teams are going to the playoffs. So it's possible to overcome your your first-round landmine. But when you look at the top 12, as everything settled in, you look at the top 12 players by ADP. Uh, it was Jefferson, McCaffrey, Jamar Chase, Eckler, Kelsey at five, Tariq, Saquon, Bajan, Steph Diggs, Chubb, Devontae Adams, CeeDee Lamb. That rounded out the first round. As we sit here week 15, the top 12 fantasy players, uh, this is just flex rankings. This is non-QB. Tyreek Hill, McCaffrey, Lamb, Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, Jamar Chase, Raheem Mostert, Steph Diggs, D.J. Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Travis Etienne, and Mike Evans. And honorable mention in ADP, is obviously the Rams wide receiver one, Cooper Cup. Honorable mention in fantasy performance uh, is obviously the Rams wide receiver one, Puka Nakua. So what it goes to show is that you're probably, the way that it sits now, you're probably not going to win your draft. You're probably not going to win your league in the first round. You can mess it up easily by, probably not by your own fault, by drafting a player that gets injured. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. But 
just because the first round is an absolute landmine doesn't mean that you're not gonna you're not gonna push forward and you're not gonna win your leagues. Yeah, and I, I think what's what's kind of an interesting take out of that, and, and you brought it up, is like as much as we can look back at the round one picks, typically people are gonna follow ADP, right? Because there is something to be said about consensus, right? There's a lot of different minds out there that drive these ADPs, and there's there's definitely consensus out there, but um, you look at some of these guys. Now, I looked at it from like, you know, not overall fantasy points, but just overall fantasy points per game. And some of the players that definitely stand out, like Keenan Allen, I think we knew that he was going to have a good season. But again, he had just an, another electric season. And at his age, like it continues to just be so impressive what Keenan Allen is is, is achieving. Um, we, I wouldn't say Cam Maker was highly drafted, but he was drafted to the point where he was, the expectation was he was going to be RB1 in LA because we know that, in a perfect system, Sean McVay loves to just use those freaking running backs. And guess what? Kyron Williams drafted at 187 overall average ADP is sitting at one, two, three, four, fifth overall in terms of fantasy points per game. So that's pretty impressive. Alvin Kamara, I mean, obviously you got a discount on him because of the the early season suspension, but he hasn't missed a beat, and that's pretty pretty impressive. And then last player here is Devon Achan, which. I mean, what can you say about him, right? I mean, you look at him, you look at Mostert, and just overall production of that Miami Dolphins team, it's it's hard to say, okay, we whiffed on those players, right? So it's certainly something that we need to reflect on going into next year. And I, that kind of leads into to my first point here, Mike, and, and that is basically, did the zero RB strategy play out, right? There was lots of people out there who were advocating a zero R, RB um, mindset, draft wide receiver early and listen if you just drafted justin jefferson at the 101 listen when he when he was on he produced the problem is he didn't play a lot of games jamar chase he had some injuries and obviously um joe burrow leaving is is a huge hit for him um it makes you think though mike do you remember the start of the season where, where jamar remember burrow was was dealing with the ankle injury and then jamar said listen it would be better for this guy to settle for the first month and yeah. i said it probably was Oh God! And then Jen, to Jen's point, Higgins was the worst dropping. Absolutely, yeah. Burrow just wasn't. For one, he he was crap the first month of the season, and then he got hurt. So yeah, that- I think I think I think with the Chase thing, I think that, and we'll talk about injuries a little bit later. But I think that that was one of those things where you're looking at, you know, you're looking at the the supporting pieces that that need to go and that need to be in place for that player to, to thrive. So you have a quarterback that missed the entirety of camp. He was questionable to start the season. He was questionable yep. whether or not he was going to even suit up week one. Like he was questionable going all the way in, all the way into the run-up. Like we were waiting with our fingers crossed, bated breath to see if he was going to be active. So I think that, you know, if you were drafting in July, early July, Chase was obvious. But as you got closer, as you got closer to the season and there was all that stuff coming out, coming out of camp, like you were a little nervous about Chase. And, you know, if you were if you took him in the first round there, you had to you kind of had to build around him and temper your expectations a little bit. But I think that that's another thing where hindsight's 2020. Like, yeah, looking back on it, we didn't we wanted it to be that if that if uh, Joe Burrow was going to play, he was going to be 100 percent and he was just going to feed Chase. And it just it just it, it wasn't true. Yeah, and, and I think too, like the other thing with that is that you got a point, so I don't want to steal your thunder a little bit later. But like the idea of in, being injury agnostic as you enter the season, like if a player is injured, there's risk that gets associated with that, right? Sometimes you can overcome that risk, other times you get absolutely burned by it. Uh, one of the things that was kind of interesting though, like 
in terms of risk and, and where we are drafting Christian McCaffrey. So, so CMC went three overall with, with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase generally going before him. And obviously you could argue the case that CMC should have been the one-on-one even without hindsight bias, right? Because of the production, because of the workload that we know he's going to be getting. But then it's a matter of, well, he's been injured before multiple times, major injuries. He's getting older. So there's that injury risk, but he's stayed healthy. So how do you reconcile that? I I think in hindsight, you, you reconcile it by saying the injury actually was baked in his injury history was baked into him at one Oh three. True. If, yeah. if, Without, but but again, it's hindsight's twenty twenty. So, if you knew CMC was going to play seventeen games and was going to get his workload seventeen games in that offense with Brock Purdy, with all those pieces, with Ayuk, with Debo, with that offensive line, with that defense, with George Kittle, if you knew he was going to be there for seventeen games, I don't think it's even close because you look at the advantage that he gives you over every other single running back. It's it it's not even like I I take that a hundred times out of a hundred. So I think that that injury was baked in at one at by him dropping all the way down to the third overall pick. So put your crystal ball or look into your crystal ball, Mike. We're in February, March. We're starting our early best balls for next year. Is CMC going to be the one on one, or are people going to go right back to Justin Jefferson? I think that I think that uh, the short term memory and the uh, the PTSD is real. So I think that you know the players that got burned by Jefferson are not going to go back to him. I think CMC is going to be the one-on-one consensus. Let me ask you this. We could, had... see, we could see that ride all the way until all the way until beginning of middle of August. Obviously we get into camps, there's injury, there's all this sorts of stuff, but like, I don't see any reason why we're going to waver off that. Well, I mean, the only argument would be is, well, we don't, know what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins. He's a free agent after this year. He cannot be franchise tagged again. So if Minnesota wants to retain him, they're going to have to pay him, right? That's just a fact. Yep. Um, Minnesota, I, I think, would be a very interesting candidate if if the Bears decide to move on from Justin Fields. I think Minnesota would be a very interesting candidate for that type of offense. Um, we, he, we've shown that he can keep the top wide receiver productive. So I, there's, there's certain situations as we get closer to draft where I could see considering Justin Jefferson at the 101 again. Um, I think we both expect T. Higgins to be gone. And out of out of Cincinnati, so Jamar Chase again consolidated target share, assuming Burrow's hurt, healthy. That that's certainly a case. But Christian McCaffrey, man. So currently CMC is and now. I probably should have prepared this, but how how old is CMC right now? He's 27, 28, 28, 28. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that in itself creates a question mark in terms of. Uh, let's see here. I, I ran it this morning, so you think I could find it? But aha, I got a filter on. This is great radio, Mike. Uh, uh, yeah, you know he's, 20, he's 27.5, okay, which means next summer is when he's going to be turning 28. Yeah, and here's the other thing, too, is um, we completely forgot about Tyreek Hill. We haven't mentioned Tyreek Hill. In I mean, that's the win. At all. That was the nuts, right? If you went Tyreek Hill, yeah. to me, yeah. that's the nuts. Because if you went Tyreek Hill early, and, and just look, just, just do a quick scan in your leagues, people who are, who are listening or watching the show. Bali, see you in the chat. Appreciate you, brother. Have a look at your leagues, Bali. How many of the teams in your leagues that had Tyreek Hill on their team are currently just chilling this week because they got a bye week? A lot of teams in my leagues, Tyreek Hill was one of the reasons for that. Is is Tyreek Hill? Let's let's say okay, he's he's questionable with the ankle right now. Let's say he's healthy. Or you know, let's say he plays, 
and he's productive. Is he the MVP? If Miami goes, yeah, a hundred percent, he's the MVP. A hundred percent, he's the MVP. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna put up almost two thousand yards this year. Like, and that's that's with two has been up and two has been down. But I mean, he's gonna put up almost two thousand yards this year. He's potentially he's on pace to have the best the best season of wide receivers ever had in the history of the NFL. And I know you can make the case for Dak, but Dak has played poor in spurts. Tyreek has produced every single freaking week. Yeah. And so back to what we were back to what we were talking about before. When you look at the difference between you can make the argument for Tyreek or Christian McCaffrey at the 101. Mm-hmm. Tyreek is the current wide receiver one at 322 in a PPR 323 points. CeeDee Lamb is wide receiver two with 284 points. Christian McCaffrey is RB1 at 311 points. Raheem Mostert is the RB2 at 237 points. So mm. McCaffrey's 84 points ahead of the next closest guy. ETN is behind him at two, 227. And then you drop all the way down to Rashad White at 204. So you're looking – the difference between RB1 and RB4 is 107 points. You look at the difference between wide receiver 1 and wide receiver 4 – is 70 points like that's a that's a big spread but the the hammer that cmc gives you over every single other running back i think is just too much is too much to overcome as long as he's going to be healthy so i think that that really makes the case for him to, to be the 101 next year so i i'm trying to remember what show i was listening to i think it might have actually been a rotowire show and on that show they were just talking about how in other fantasy sports now i don't play any other fantasy sports but like, for example, fantasy baseball or even fantasy hockey, right? There's typically – you can – it's it's, it's going to be the strength of your team that's going to lead you overall into the playoffs. Whereas in fantasy football, more than any of these other fantasy sports, it's the strength of one or two high-impactful players on your team that are going to get you into the playoffs. And that's because once you start getting to that wide receiver two, wide receiver three range, there's not a lot of points on a given week. They're going to really differentiate these positions, which, Mike, that was one of the reasons why forever people were taking running backs early in their drafts, right? Because the impact typically of those high-end running backs, those bell cow running backs, were so impactful to help you get to the playoffs. The way that the NFL is starting to shift, there's now all of these shared backfields. There isn't that de facto workhorse running back anymore. And so that kind of leads on to my next question, which I'm just going to, I'm going to go into mine just because I think it's relative to our conversation here. And, and that's the idea. Like, so the zero RB zealots out, out there, like that's, that's, that trend is going to continue, right? Especially going into next year because people saw how late you could get running backs. But the thing is though, is that are these running backs going to continue to be a discount, Mike, if everybody's fading them until say round three or four? Right, like it's all relative to the market. Yeah. See, I don't think. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see people start to jump ADP by a quarter round. Then they'll jump ADP by a half round. Then they'll jump ADP by a round because they're mm-hmm. trying to one up their league mates on this on this zero RB strategy. And I think that, and we talked about this a lot in our group chat. Like, for me, I I went out and tried to deploy either zero RB or hero RB in every single one of my leagues this year. And I don't think it's any coincidence that I ended up not making the playoffs in any of my redraft leagues. Like it for, for players as well. Like you need to, you need to marry up what your in-season strategy is and what kind of in-season play you are versus your draft strategy. So like 
somebody like Beck, Matt Beck, who, who who's on with us, another you know another member of the DFS Army, mm-hmm. he's the perfect zero RB guy because he's super aggressive out on the waiver wire. He blew eighty five percent of his fab on Kyron Williams week one, and it was the right decision. Even mm-hmm. though Williams yeah. went down, it was the right decision because if you waited until round seven to draft your first running back and you ended up with freaking Khalil Herbert and Rashad White. Yeah, you rode Rashad White the first week. Khalil Herbert did okay for you. But then you blow 85% of your fab on Kyron Williams and you're rolling Kyron Williams and Rashad White, you're in great shape. But if you're not willing to be that aggressive, I myself tend to be a slightly more conservative. I, let me wait a week and see if what I'm what I'm seeing is what I'm actually seeing. If you wait a week, you're you're usually too late. So, uh, you know, I think I'm going to – I think I'm going to probably pivot back a little bit more to the best player available and mm-hmm. then take these draft values as they come out. It's, you know, it, it's more of a value-based drafting. And I think that that's really where if you try and marry too hard into a strategy going into your draft, you end up falling into pits and traps and you end up with a roster that you really don't like. And that's kind of where I sat at the end of a lot of my drafts. I'm like, I tried to stay hard on this strategy and I don't like this freaking roster and then you know you're constantly trying to play catch up the rest of the season, and I think that's where I think that's where a lot of people are going to end up if you try and stay married to one philosophy. I think you brought up a really good point because I mean, like I feel like you could have an entire show just on waiver wire strategy. Period. Right? It's I know it's a conversation that Alan Sazelski and I have had, we've all had with him for a long time now, and that is when and how do you spend your fab? Right? Because ultimately, we spend months and months and months building our draft strategy, understanding player takes, having convictions on players, right? So you go and you draft your team and, and typically, you know, the back end of your bench are your high upside players, players you think are going to pop, right? Which usually it's guys you don't expect to pop in week one or two. So then week one happens and there are crazy outcomes that we don't expect like Kyron Williams, like you mentioned. And then the question is, okay, as, as, a, as a player evaluation, I, I didn't like Kyron Williams. There was, you know, there was, Based on a lot of his his metrics, based on a lot of his athleticism scores, he didn't pop in my mind, right? And then when you went to the, like the, the actual um, pre-draft process, he frankly disappointed, right? And then he didn't do much because, well, he was kind of a slug before. This year comes out, he's given the opportunity. He had multiple games where he had 100% opportunity share in the running back position, which is unheard of in 2023. And so how do you marry that? And say, you know, you pull a map. I mean, Matt spent 85% of his fab because he was a huge Kyron Williams guy. That was that was one of his players, right? So he's like, okay, I like this player. He popped. He's got the opportunity. Boom, I'm going to go spend my fab because, as Alan Soslowski says, the value that you're spending earlier on in the season, you're going to get that value more if you have that player on your, on your team longer, right? If you save 85% of your fab budget until the last week of the season, well, the, the amount of fantasy points per fab is, is much lower versus if you spend it early on in the season, right? So that's just something too you have to understand. And that's why, Mike, we spend so much time in the rookie draft process so that when one of these guys do pop, we have a better understanding and a better, a better feel of, okay, do we think this is, this is sustainable or is this just a flash in the pan? And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and that's how we got on guys like Pacheco and Rashad White you know, yes. we were probably a little, we were probably a year early on Rashad White last year because Fournette was still there. But like, that's how we got onto guys like that. And it's all a question of your process, knowing how you like to play, how you like to build your rosters, and how you like to evaluate your guys. But when you land on your guys, I, I think you gotta you gotta build out your 
preseason process and your rookie evaluation process so that when this stuff pops up, you can you can make a make a judgment. You can make a judgment call. You can say, OK, this is, you know, week one. Kyron Williams goes off. You know, he, mm-hmm. he usurps Cam Akers. You know, he makes Cam Akers a complete non-factor. He he has he I think he was the RB one overall week one. Uh, am I going to blow my money on him? And like I look at it, and I'm like, eh, I didn't really like him week one. I think that was a, I think that was a flash in the pan. That was a function of no yeah. Cooper Cup. You know, you know, somebody getting getting reacquainted with the new offense. I, I'm gonna wait. And everybody else picked him up, and I was I was a week too late. So it it kind of is what it is. You gotta you lick your wounds and move on, and you gotta adjust your process. But I think that ultimately you gotta you adjust your process as you want to, and you stick with your process as you need to. The other thing too is that I've had success in previous seasons where come week 13, 14 leading up to the playoffs or, you know, 12, 13 in previous years. Um, I typically had a fair amount of fab left to the point where as major injuries happen, as things change, you are in a good position to go out and, and win that, that player on fab. So the, there's definitely something to having a little bit of cash left in that bank. So then as we're getting closer to the playoffs and all the other teams have blown their fab budget, you're still going to be the one that can go out there and secure that high player. For example, in um, in our Dynamics Boys League, I had the highest fab and I was able to go out and get Zamir White because I had Josh Jacobs. I liked Zamir White's prospect. Now, people for people who who who, uh, who might forget, it was Zamir White. It was James Cook. It was a Thunder Lightning offense when they came into the league and James cook, I think has had a pretty decent year, year one last year, the rookie year, not good. But this year, James cook has had a bigger role has done. Well, Samir white stuck behind Josh Jacobs hasn't done squat, but you see given an opportunity and, and listen, that Thursday night game was an abomination and you can't really ever bank on that, but he put up 17 over 17 points in, in a, in a PPR and that saved my bacon because I had the fab available to go on and make that, that acquisition. So there's definitely strategies both ways, but it's, it's, it's what is your propensity for risk? And that's what it comes down to. You and I think are a little bit more conservative. Our, our other two show hosts, uh, flex Matt and Brandon, they're, they're YOLO baby. They don't give a shit. They'll go for it. They're, they'll go all in. So it's, it's all about your approach. Uh, Mike, yep. give me your other, uh, another takeaway for the 2023. So season. I have, I have two that kind of go hand in hand. Um, the my number two is to trust good coaching systems and good offenses, and yep. my number three is to ignore or appropriately scale down bad coaching systems. So yep. you look at when you when you look at the top of the fantasy points chart, you got Tyreek Hill up there, you got Raheem Mostert up there, um, Waddle's not too far down, and then you see you know a chain on a, on a per game basis is up there as well. That's straight up a function of their system. You look at you look at five players you can start every single week in San Francisco. You can start Purdy, Ayuk, McCaffrey, Debo when he's healthy, and Kittle. And you know, and mm-hmm. obviously you you need to understand the, what the range of outcomes is. But like those are guys that if you have them, you can plug them into your system every single week. You can plug them into your lineup every single week, and you can know about what you're going to get. Like you're not worried if they're going to go for six points or if they're going to go for 35 points, they're probably going to go, you know, they're going to go between 15 and 18 points and they might have a blow up week and you're going to be in good shape. Then on the flip side of that coin, you look at other systems, you look at like new England and what we're dealing with, Mm. with the new England running backs and the new England wide receivers. Like on, on our bold calls show, I much to the chagrin of Brandon said that I thought that Stevenson and and Ezekiel Elliott were both going to be running back twos. 
just because of everything that had gone on there. Belichick has never had a back-to-back thousand-yard rusher. They spent a lot of time dragging other bright dragon RB2s through there in the offseason. Um, they said they wanted to depress Stevenson's workload. Stevenson's ADP, Stevenson's ADP still finished up pretty high. Uh, when you're looking at it at the at the end of it, um, Stevenson ended up as an RB11. He's currently sitting as the RB25. Part of that's due to injury. Part of it is due mm-hmm. is due to depressed workload, and part of it is due to quite frankly, systematic dysfunction. Um, so, and you know, and then you look, you look at what our expectations were for the, for the offense in Atlanta. I was super high on Bajan Robinson. And I think that that was the correct process. He was not going to, he, he shouldn't have shared. He was, he was a high value real draft pick. He was drafted at eighth overall on a rookie deal with no mileage on him in the NFL with a poor performing quarterback who in a low passing volume offense, everything led you to believe that he was going to be the bell cow, do exactly what Barkley and Zeke Elliott did in their first years. And I think at worst, I was expecting him to be RB4. And then you get Arthur freaking Smith, who has mm-hmm. to trot Tyler Algier out there and vulture two touchdowns in the first week. And it just it just went all over the board from there. So I think that when you look when you look at it, Trust and invest in good offenses and then adjust appropriately for poor offenses and poor offensive systems. And I'm not saying poor from an NFL standpoint. I'm saying poor from a fantasy performance standpoint. In the rare opportunity, we've been able to trust Bill Belichick running backs. So now to all of a sudden think that we're going to be able to trust Stevenson as a week in and week out RB1 was in hindsight probably a fool's errand. You know, I think that we were hoping that – we were going to see the Tennessee Arthur Smith and what he was able to do with Derrick Henry rather than the Atlanta, rather than the Atlanta Arthur Smith and the fuckery that he deployed with Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier in the 2022 season. We were hoping that was all going to go away and he was just going to let Bijan be Bijan. So um, trust historical data and look, trust coaching systems, both on the positive side and on the negative side. Yeah. I mean, Bijan Robinson, as, as we've completed now, 14 weeks. He's 14 played 13 weeks. games yep. and he is at 15 points per game, right? So he's still been pretty productive when you look at just overall productivity relative to the other relative to the position class, but he's still a disappointment for the round one draft selection. I think that's certain. And then um, what this actually kind of drives into my next quite or my next topic here is you talked about systems. Well, the system I think is a big a massive contributing factor to the success overall of the quarterback, right? I mean, you look no further than Brock Purdy, who in a lot of statistics that matter, touchdowns, passing yards, wins, Brock Purdy is definitely up there, right? I mean, I I, I don't know the exact stat, but I think it's now essentially when Brock Purdy has been healthy, it's, you know, they've got their core, their core group of like Debo Samuel and um, Bosa and CMC. When they're all healthy, San Francisco doesn't lose games. And what's kind of interesting, so I was looking here at like the quarterback position overall, right? And so the, the question I have is like, is it worth going and drafting quarterback early when you see guys who have frankly been disappointing? Like, yes, Kate, from a from a fantasy points per per game perspective here. Okay. So your top three are Josh Allen. Okay, he was overall ADP of 24. Jalen Hurts, overall ADP of 23. Dak Prescott, oh, excuse me, no, not ADP, 29, uh, Josh Allen, 25, Jalen Hurts. Dak Prescott, he is was at 121 overall. So 
obviously that is a system driven thing. Like I think people need to give credit what credit's due with Dak Prescott, but he's a system driven thing. Lamar Jackson, he does it on his own. But then when you look at uh, the next players on the list here, you got Brock Purdy, system. Kirk Cousins, I would argue, system. Sam Howell, I would argue, system. CJ Stroud, he's just a stud baby. I just love CJ Stroud. Patrick Mahomes, he's just had a different, he's had a, uh, a disappointing season. But that's also driven by, I think, the system, right? They haven't gone. They, yeah. they, they said they did so well last year. They said, well, we don't need to surround Ty, uh, Patrick Mahomes with, with wide receivers. Mahomes will figure it out. It hasn't worked. So that's been a bad system. Justin Fields is running quarterback. And then Jordan Love, I think, again, a pretty good system. So when you're when we're looking next year, I mean, I still think that there's value in drafting quarterbacks early. But do you think the thirst this year – the thirst for quarterbacks was like none other. They were going so early. And I feel like after this year, it's again, only one season, it's still only 14 games, people it's still considered a small sample size. But are people going to be a little bit more reluctant to draft quarterback early? Or do you think they're just still going to go and, and take swings on Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes in early or early round three, late round two? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that you're going to need to. And I think okay. that I, so I think that the players that dip their toe into it this year are probably going to wade back and are going to pull back. The players that have always been, you know, give me anchor, give me a stud quarterback early are going to stay there. Um, so I think that I think you'll see it back off a little bit. You know, just looking at at overall ADP, there were seven quarterbacks taken in the first four rounds. I don't think that we'll see that again next year because I don't think that there's the necessity for that. I think the other thing we're going to see too is that I think you're going to see a, I think we could see as many as seven quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds of the actual NFL draft next year. And there could be yep. a lot of new guys starting on new teams next year. So, you know, you look at where you look at where I should, let me pull this up real quick. You look at where CJ Stroud was drafted in the beginning of the season and CJ, CJ Stroud, who's currently sitting at QB six was taken way, 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 way down. Yeah. He was QB 24 at 193 overall. He was basically freeing your draft. So I think people are going to look at that. They're going to try and project out who's going to be the next Stroud. You look at where Sam Howell went. I got Sam Howell in like the 14th, 15th round as a as a backup, as a secondary QB option. So, you know, I think that those of us that dipped our toe in, say, oh, I'm going I'm to mess around with early QB. I'm going to get an Allen or a Herbert or a Hertz and – you know, at the at the behest of a stud positional player, I think that those of us that did that are gonna are gonna go back the other way and go late QB and stream QB and tight end like we always do. Those of us that have always done early QB are gonna continue to do early QB. So I think we'll probably see yeah. four QBs go in the first four rounds next year. I was pretty aggressive on drafting Jalen Hurts. If you fell to me in the early third round, I was pretty aggressive getting Jalen Hurts. I'm pretty I'm still pretty happy that I went with Jalen Hurts. I mean Unfortunately, last week was the worst week of the season. It was, again, just a debacle. But I, I, I still believe there's some value. But round one and round two, it, to me, is probably going to be hands-off. Unless it's, you know, you're throwing a dart in, in a few of these best ball leagues. But the value just isn't there relative to, to the skill position players you can get. And, I mean, it's still you can still wait on these quarterbacks. As long as you can identify these successful systems and that's half the battle mike right like we try to evaluate what we believe is going. like we thought that that the chargers were going to be a good system it just wasn't it didn't work the kellen moore experiment did not work mm -mm. but i think we were all excited when kellen moore went over to to the chargers right 
Oh my God, we were so excited because we saw yeah. glimpses of what we saw glimpses of what we thought Dak could be, but we mm-hmm. thought that McCarthy was the one who was holding Kellen Moore back. In reality, it looks like <laughs> Kellen Moore was the one holding Mike McCarthy back. Which who would have yeah. thunk it? I would have thought he was a caveman. I would have thought they were going to run the ball four hundred times a game, and Dak would have thrown it seven. It's so, so crazy. It's it's so crazy, man. It's so crazy. Okay, give me give yeah. me uh, another uh, takeaway that you had for this season, Mike. All right, another takeaway from this season is the fact that we need to temper our expectations on a lot of these quote unquote breakout candidates. Yeah. So we look at and this 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 show included. We were Brandon and justifiably so, Brandon was super high on Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley. The drum beat coming out of camp was great. It was a consistent drum beat. It was it was Ridley looks great. Ridley looks amazing. Ridley looks amazing. Trevor Lawrence has taken that step forward. We saw what, you know, Doug Peterson did with the likes of Carson Wentz and how he progressed him all the way through press Taylor there. The same thing had lined up for the Jaguars as it did for those, 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 you know, 2017 Philadelphia Eagles. And the whole thing just kind of fell apart. You know, you look yep. at, so I think that expecting a player to go from, you know, being a career wide receiver, low end wide receiver to, mid mid tier two to being an alpha and being a high end one is while it's super exciting, it's kind of one of those things where you got to temper your expectations a little bit. You know, is it is a player who's only had one wide receiver one year all of a sudden now going to be a wide receiver one consistently? Probably not. Um is this guy who's looked who's struggled a little bit in the NFL and who's looked like the game is bigger than him a little bit, but has been super solid and super consistent. Is he ready to take this leap all the way forward? Probably not. The, the Justin, the Justin Herbert's, the Trevor Lawrence's of the world are more typical than the Brock Purdy's of the world. Players typically are what they are and they grow progressively over time rather than Mr. Mr. Irrelevant who, you know, was undrafted last year, was drafted at the tail end of drafts this year, and is now QB6. Those cases are much less prevalent than the cases of, you know, players moving within a range of outcomes. Um, you know, I got caught, I got caught with Daniel Jones thinking that Daniel Jones would take a, another mm-hmm. leap forward in Brian Dayball's offense and would be a mid-tier QB QB one. Before he got hurt, he was absolute garbage. He was like a he was like a back-end QB two. So, you know, it Historically, players are who they are, and they're mm-hmm. not gonna they're not gonna alter much within that range. That's 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 a really good take, and I think what, what kind of fooled us about Daniel Jones was one in general, like the, the Brian Dable offense last year was looked amazing. He won Coach of the Year last year. Daniel mm-hmm. Jones looked like he was who we thought he could be with that rushing upside, right? He looked good, and then he turned back into a pumpkin, which is pretty disappointing. He just but, hey, listen, lost. Listen, I I'm. I, I admit this is probably 100% my bias because I was so high in Trey Lance, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Like Mr. Relevant Brock Purdy, some of the stats that he's been successful in, total QBR, he's at 77 overall instead of 100. Um, that leads all these top players, at least Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, in terms of air yards per attempt. So that's because everybody says, well, it's just it's these yards after the catch receivers that are making him successful. His yards, his air yards per attempt is 8.07. You compare that to Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, 7.92. It's a little bit lower than Josh Allen, 8.25. Jalen Hurts, 8.61. But it's still higher than Kirk Cousins with 7.11. Sam Howell, 7.6. 
Uh, CJ Stroud was 9.23, which was pretty impressive. But basically, like he was an above average yards per per or air yards per per attempt. And that in itself is definitely value over just saying he's a totally well, I'd say he's a system quarterback. I don't I wouldn't call him a game manager, right? Because like again, that is pejorative no, in the words not of, at all. Um, of uh uh yeah of the masses but um okay so so another thing too that kind of i'm trying to reflect on is like you and i are historically sizists well you more so than me right we're sizes in terms of how how we draft our players but a lot of these smaller players have been successful so when i look at the wide receiver position right typically when i say a small wide receiver it's one under 180 pounds but you look at these players uh, this year, for example. So uh, this is just ranked in terms of fantasy points per game. So Tank Dell, he's 165 pounds, 15 fantasy points per game. Devonta Smith, stud, 170 pounds, 14.9. Jordan Addison, 173 pounds, 13.04. And then you got Marquise Brown, he's 166 at 10.3. Then now the rest of these guys were not as productive. Josh Downs, Tutu Atwa, Elijah Moore. Wandell Robinson, Demario Douglas, all of these guys in that range, they scored between call it right around eight to eight and a half points per game. So on the wide receiver side of things, I'd say that our priors, yes, we had some hits, but probably as long as like if these guys are elite wide receiver prospects like a Devonta Smith, like a Jordan Anderson, I still think it's safe to fade the, the, the small wide receiver. Like you're going to hit more often than you miss. So I think check to Mike and Shane for being sizes there. But let's look at the running back position, okay? Um, these are running backs under 205 pounds. I was going to look at, at 200, but I figured, hey, listen, it's right around that 205-pound mark is when we start to question, like, is this guy going to be durable? Is this guy going to be able to survive the season? Um, obviously, in terms of fantasy points per game, Christian McCaffrey, he's 202 pounds. He's been electric at almost 24 points per game. Kyron Williams, this is another reason why you and I were so off Kyron. He was 194 pounds coming into the league. He scored over 20 points. Devon A. Chain, 188 pounds. He scored over 20 points. Raheem Mostert, he's right at 205 pounds, Mike. Uh, 18 points. Jameer Gibbs, 199 pounds. Austin Eckler, 199 pounds. James Cook, 199 pounds. All these guys had between 13 to 16 points per game. So I think from the RB perspective, if we're going to move forward with drafting these smaller backs, I think it goes to what you said about trusting a coaching system. Right, like you look at Mostert and HN specifically, you look at CMC, you look at Austin Eckler. If you know definitively at the start of the season, or even Jameer Gibbs because of his draft capital, that these players are probably going to be given an opportunity and they're going to be given a workload, because that's the biggest thing, right? Is these coaches are sizes as well, so they won't give these smaller running backs typically enough touches to become fantasy relevant. It becomes too risky, right? You you just you need a big play. Yeah, but I think that I think that what you see, and, and we talked about this. I think that I think that we kind of there's there's two different there's two different things to talk about here. <clears throat> the first is with a player like Devonte Chain, he had that huge blow up stretch, and then he went on IR, and he's been a roller he's been a roller coaster since then. So yeah. like, if you were banking on him as a wide receiver too, or as a locked in flex play, like it's been tough sledding for you, you know, mm-hmm. and the same, you know, the same, the same goes, the same well, goes. Kyra Williams got hurt. Devon Achan got yeah. hurt. Austin Eckler got hurt. Yeah. I mean, we thought Julian Mulgaukin was going to be a thing. He got, he got hurt or he, he never really, he never really launched in his thing. Nothing. And we've seen yeah. it kind of, we've seen kind of historically where these guys have been little flashes in the pan 
you know, the, the Austin Eckler, he, he's tiny. He's always been tiny. And he mm-hmm. was, he was great as a compliment piece when he had Melvin Gordon, he had a couple years where he was great, but he's gotten hurt. So I think that the key to it is when you look at what's worked successfully in Detroit, you have a banger like David Montgomery who can absorb the early yep. down work, who can absorb the blows between the tackles. And then you have a consistent role carved out for Jameer Gibbs. Like I was, I was hesitant to draft Gibbs at his ADP because I didn't know what his role was going to be. I didn't know if he was yeah. going to be, you know, he was going to get every third series or if he was going to play every series only on third down, if he was going to get some between the tackles work, I just didn't know what his role was going to be. But I think that when you get these smaller guys, and they're running in a system with a bigger guy who can absorb the blows and they can come in um, kind of like what we saw James White be successfully for years and years and years yes. in New England. Like you had LeGarrette Blount who was absorbing the blows and then James White was – he performed as an RB1 in primarily a pass-catching role. Danny Woodhead was in the, was in the same kind of thing where like he was a thing. He didn't have to absorb the blows. He was he was getting higher quality touches, touches in touches where he was getting passes in space and was getting the opportunity to do things with his legs after he got the ball in his hands. Like those are the players that we can go with. So, yeah, I missed out I missed out on the Devon A. Chains of the world because I – I, he's just too small for my taste and he got hurt. He's on IR. He's, he's been up and down. And I think that we can have an argument whether I was right or whether, you know, Brandon and Matt were right about that. But if you're relying on him week in and week out, you're not getting it from him week in and week out because he's not in the lineup every week because he's not in the NFL lineup every week. So I think that if you see these guys go into a system where they have a early down guy, then you're in good shape. If you're relying on two smaller scat guys and trying to pick which one every week as an RB2 for yourself, you're going to be in a tough spot. If it's a fill-in flex or a bi-week flex guy, you're in a little bit better spot. But again, that's a that's a playing philosophy. That's a conservative playing philosophy versus an aggressive playing philosophy. I I appreciate floor and I like to I like to build the ceiling in on my flex guys rather than building in building in ceiling and hoping for ceiling in my positional guys. Yeah. So when I, when I was looking at this, I looked at just the top 24 running backs in terms of fantasy points per game. And there were seven players that we talked about just now that were under 205 pounds. That means there's 17 that are above the 205 pounds. And yeah. would you look at just like general impact? I mean, Christian McCaffrey, Kyron Williams, Devon A. Chan and Raheem Mostert were five or four out of the f- top five in terms of fantasy points per game. And Alvin Kamara was in there right after that. Um, so the thing that we do like about these smaller guys is that it's clear, like when they have an opportunity and they get a few touches and they're healthy, they can be explosive and they can be highly impactful. The problem is you cannot bake. If you're, if you're drafting them early, you know that on the back end in your bench, you're going to have to go and get a lot of running back depth because yes, you might be comfortable. You spend a lot of draft capital on these early running backs, but you got to make sure that you're protected in, in the other weeks because they are going to be hurt. You can almost set your watch to it. So I think that's interesting. Um, before we get to the next one here, we got a, we got a question from uh, recon. It's more so like, uh, how do we feel? So he says, okay, uh, Hey guys have Josh Allen, Swift, Mixon, Amon-Ra, the sun God, um, Jetta's Waddle, <laughs> okay, Jalen Waddle, uh, and Joku in the Colts defense. How do we feel versus Stafford, CEH, James Conner, Pittman, Rice, Kelsey, Atlanta defense? I, I mean, man, you have a significantly better team. 
I, yeah. I think a significantly better team. Who does yep. uh, who do the Colts play this week? Colts. Play... Think about it here. Yeah. Hold one second. Yeah, Colts are playing Pittsburgh. So yeah, I think that's yep. yeah, I think you're you're gonna be in pretty good shape. You're gonna be in pretty good shape this week. Um the fantasy playoffs are crazy though, man. Like you just you you never freaking know. I don't know about you, Mike, but I know like we weren't extremely high in Austin Eckler this year for a lot of the reasons. We just worried that it like sometimes if it looks like a like a like a what what's the expression? Mike? I'm gonna butcher this one. If it if it if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it is a Thank duck. Thank you. Thank you. It's probably a duck, right? That's what where we were going with Austin Eckler. I made a trade in one of my dynasty leagues, and I'm starting to regret where I traded just straight up um, for it was a rebuilding team, and I'm in a position where I've, I've got a really strong team, and I was making a push for the playoffs. I traded Javante Williams away to get Austin Eckler in a full PPR league. Um, this was literally after the, I think he came back and he had like two 25 point weeks. That's the week that I traded for him, and then he hasn't really scored mm. since. The last week was decent. This week was absolutely abysmal, but. Yeah. Um, you just never know, man. Like Austin Eckler at this point, like who knows? Can you trust him? Like, I, say, say I somehow miraculously make it through the playoffs this week with Austin Eckler with the the dud that he put up. Am I going to trust him next week to put him in my lineup? Because because just last week he put up twenty five points. I the problem just, is I, just I, don't I know think you point. have to. Like, do, do yeah. you have what are your what are your options where you're sitting, well, Austin Eckler? Actually, well, okay, so I actually have good options. So I can only start three running backs in this league. Um, Rashad White, I'm starting every single week. Um, I started Austin Eckler, and then I had a decision between Devon Achan and Brees Hall. And as of right now, I've got Achan and Brees Hall out. Um, I'm mm. sitting. I mean, really what the play was was sitting Austin Eckler in hindsight. But you yeah. could not have predicted that game. For those of you out there no. who thought that it was that was what was going to happen, you're bullshitting yourselves, right? There's no way you could have predicted that game. And the fact that he was just completely out of it. I think what, what, what killed me the most, and this is just pure, you know, Shane ranting, is that even when it was out of reach, like Austin Eckler wasn't even getting garbage time. It was Josh Kelly that yeah. was in there getting all the touches. And I guess at that point, you're like, listen, we just don't want to get Eckler hurt. Um, he's yeah. going to be a free agent next year. So maybe that's more of a, hey, we're trying to help you out here. But like he might be taking himself out of the game. That's that's possible, too. Right. So, yeah, it is what it is. But no, no recon XB. I think you've got a pretty solid shot there to uh, to move on. I'm curious to know what the actual uh, what the software projections are. Uh, okay, Mike, I got one more, or I actually got a few more really quickly here. So, yeah. um, kind of in line with the uh, trusting smaller players, how much should we factor age in to our to our redraft rankings? I, at this point, it's almost not like I'm looking here at just the running backs who are 25 or older. And again, this is all based off of uh, fantasy points per game, okay? Positional rank. So Christian McCaffrey, 27 and a half. He was one. Alvin Kamara's 28. He's RB3. Raheem Mostert is 31. He's RB5. Saquon Barkley is a month or, yeah, a month away from, from turning 27. He's seven overall. David Montgomery, 26. He's nine overall. Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry. They're all 27, 28, 29, respectively. They're the RB11, 12, and 13. Like at, at the running back position, it's almost like these guys have been in the league and coaches trust them. Therefore, they're going to get touches. It's not quite as peppered, but it's just, it's interesting to me because historically, at least this is how Shane's brain worked. I always wanted young running backs. I always wanted young running backs. That didn't really play out this year. And that's another reason why the zero RB strategy probably worked because a lot of people were reluctant to draft these older running backs early, right? 
Yeah. And I thought that was, that was part of the reason that I was so high on, on Bajan this year is that I was like, yeah. McCaffrey has injury history. He's aging. Eckler has injury history. He's aging. Um, I liked Chubb. Chubb wasn't sharing. Chubb's, Chubb's on the younger side that he's only, he's 25. I believe he had that catastrophic injury. Um, Chubb's yes. either 25 or 26. No, he I, wasn't, he Chubb's older actually. I'll double check. It, you keep talking. I'll check. I'll double it, check. It didn't look like he was going to share, but I was like, this kid is young coming out of college. He's not going to share. He's a stud. Let's, let's ride. But it just didn't, it's almost like, it's almost like you need the guys year three, four, five, though. That's, that's the sweet spot for the running backs. So I expect to see, um, obviously Bijan will be, will be a, uh, will be a first round pick next year. I expect yeah. to see the likes of Javon. I expect to see the likes of Javante jump up in ADP next year. I think Rashad White's going to jump up in ADP next year. Um, you know, I think that whoever the Rams RB one is would, mm-hmm. it looks like it'll be Kyron Williams. I expect to see him jump up next year. So it's not, it's not, an, it's, it's not strictly an age thing anymore. It used to be strictly an age thing. I think it's an age tethered to experience thing and experience within the system. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Nick Chubb just turned 28, which is okay. a problem. I mean, listen, yeah. he he could still get another two to three years of good production. So if you were yeah. like me and you traded and you went and traded aggressively for him at the start of this season thinking he's going to be good, um, there's still hope yet. Hope yet. But um, the fact that Jerome Ford has looked as good as he has it definitely yeah. makes me a little bit worried about the Nick Chubb workhorse role moving forward, especially with the injury. Uh, I got one more, Mike. Do you want to jump to your last point, though, first? Yep. Yeah. My last point is actually, is actually on the injuries. Um, don't, when it comes to injuries, prepare, don't hope when it, when, when you're dealing with them. So like a lot of us were super, super aggressive with, and this, this will kind of dovetail into the Nick Chubb thing. So mm-hmm. say Nick Chubb comes back next year. He miraculously somehow is not on pup to start camp. He runs all the way through camp understand what that's what that's prop what that probably is going to mean it's probably going to mean that jerome ford starts the season off as the rb1 chubb gets eased back in and then if he stays healthy by week seven or eight he's going to be taking over that backfield it's the same thing we kind of look at with it didn't exactly play out with with Brees hall well Brees hall was a little bit limited to start the season and then when he exploded he really exploded yeah but more the javante williams like we thought javante would be we were expecting him to start the season on pup, miss the first six weeks and come back. He miraculously was, he participated all at camp. Um, he, he was active to start week one. He technically played, but he was really splitting with, with P Ryan McLaughlin mixed in a little bit. And now as we're rounding the season out, once we started into the double digit weeks, now he's starting to take over that backfield. Um, understand, I understand that as as optimistic as we like to be and as far as medical technology has come it's still an extremely physical sport and timelines are timelines for a reason like mm-hmm. unless something dramatic happens in the way these ACLs are reconstructed or these Achilles are reconstructed or these muscle tears are 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 repaired like it's you're not going to do much to alter that timeline and do much to alter the outcome. Like obviously you have some freaks like AP, but AP tours, he tours ACL, what week one, week two, and was back blowing up the next year. Like he, that was when he set, that was when he set the, the NFL on fire it was, this was the year coming back off that, but he tore that early. Like, you know, look, looking through, 
injured players in camp, players who kind of work through injuries in camp, understand that their range of outcomes is probably going to be slightly diminished. Cooper Cup is a is a great example. Like he was injured in camp, he started off inactive, he started off on IR, I believe, came back off IR, mm-hmm. and it hasn't been great. Um, now part of that is the is the emergence of a Puka Nakua, but like he's hurt. He's looked hurt. And historically, you look back, like you look at the Julio Jones, you know, you look at the the Traylon Burks of the world, guys that have been hurt, have continued to be hurt, and don't expect those injuries to all of a sudden go away and not be what they were. So if you're going to take a flyer on those guys, like if you're they're dropping, 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 and you're like, there's too much value here, I can't pass on them understand what the risk is and understand a way to hedge on it. Perfect example this year um, was where Jonathan Taylor fell. When there were all those contract talks, when there was all this, the injury talk, everything like that, he started dropping into the third and fourth round. So mm-hmm. if you grabbed him in the third and fourth round, you were in you were in okay shape in the middle part of the season when he came back. But if you knew that Zach Moss was going to be the man and you grabbed mm-hmm. Zach Moss, you're in great shape because you plugged in Zach Moss when Taylor was out. Taylor came back in. You maybe had one or two dicey weeks, but then when Taylor went out, you plugged Moss back in and you had, while the outcome didn't necessarily lend itself to what you hoped it would be, you had a running back in a good offense that was getting a bulk of the work. And that's really Mm -hmm. what you want. So um, understand how injury plays into that. Understand how, understand how players work within, within a system, but you know, kind of hedge against it. If you're getting a discount on a player because of injury, take a take a complimentary piece a little bit higher than you than you have to, or then then maybe you should. Or if it's a fab situation, spend a little bit more than you need to to kind of protect yourself against it. I think so. You mentioned Javante, and it was I believe was it was the ACL last year, right? Is what he injured injured in 2022. Yeah, he the ACL. ACL, right? So you look at early on in the season. To your point, he did play. He didn't have double-digit fantasy points in a full PPR until week seven, but he also didn't have the snap percentage. His highest snap share was in week seven, where he finally had 53%. Prior to that was week one and two, where he had 45% snap share, okay? so But then from week seven on, he had double-digit points every single week except for week 11. And last week, week 14, to get you into the fantasy football playoffs, he actually had his first touchdown scored since 2021. But... Javante, if you were just looking at for the first month of the season, almost first two months of the season, he was droppable. He was not somebody you wanted to start with confidence. But as the season has gone on, as he's shown that he's stayed healthy, because that's huge, right? The fact that he's actually stayed healthy. He's a de facto RB2, but you probably don't have to play him as your RB2. You probably have to play him as your flex. So he's, he's in a position where he is producing for you leading us into the fantasy playoffs and he actually has a well this week he's going up against detroit which i like week 16 i worry he's going up against new england and then the chargers which who knows man like i i don't even know what to expect from the chargers at this point because you know there's often that, that like you know that that kick in the ass teams get after their head coach is fired and the jam is fired they say man we got to go for it or maybe they're just like hands up in the air let's just let's just stay healthy let's get to the off season so that'll be interesting but no i think that's a really acute uh, observation there, Mike, about injuries. And I think you and I are both, again, pretty conservative about injuries. I know Brandon's a little... He's starting to see the way, but he's, he's of course, more YOLO when it comes to injuries. I got one last point, and, and more so it's a question for you. Um, the tight end position, looking towards 2024, 
how it's performed this year has not been great. Like Travis Kelsey is trending and or currently is still the tight end one in terms of fantasy points per game. So if you drafted him as a tight end one, well, he is there. The problem is he's not differentiating himself, right? He is averaging 16 points per game. You got TJ Hawkinson at 15. Sam Laporta, who was basically, I mean, he was free at, at, at uh, ADP 112 overall. He was at 14. There's a massive cluster of guys between around 10 to 14 fantasy points per per week. And if you just said, screw it, I'm not going to go and I'm not going to spend high draft capital on these players. Mark Andrews was doing very well until he obviously got hurt. George Kittle, he has his boom weeks, but he also has his bust weeks. And then Evan Ingram is... Been, I'd say Evan Ingram has been pretty steady. But after that, I mean, you're rolling the dice with Cole Komet, David Njoku. Jake Ferguson's coming on hot recently, but um, to start the season, he wasn't. Dalton Schultz was pretty good most of the season. He's been dealing with some injuries. Uh, Darren Waller, obviously, he's been dealing with injuries. Dalton Kincaid oh. has been a lot better with Dawson Knox hurt, but guess what? Dawson Knox is back, right? So going into next year, actually, I don't know if Dawson Knox is what uh, – is, is he in his fourth year right now? I believe this is his last rookie the only rookie i'm gonna check right now no they yeah. hold on did they extend them they yeah they extended him okay okay so that that's a little bit worrisome for dalton kincaid as well now maybe rational coaching staff would, would get kincaid more involved but like are we at the point where it's just kind of like all right I'll, i'm just gonna wait like typically i fade tight end unless it's a tight end premium and it's like these auction leagues because a lot of the times you can get a discount on them but if it's just your typical redraft and there's no tight end premium I don't see any value in really spending up like maybe round four, round five. You could start to take a shot and look at a player like TJ Hawkinson, but Hawk's going to probably go early, right? Like Hawk's going to go into round three. I would think yeah, I'm not going to spend that capital. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Hawkinson go in the second round next year. Like he could, he could Maybe. easily supplant. He could supplant Kelsey as, as the tight end one off the board. And if you get somebody yep. aggressive and high on him, they could take him, you know, late round, late round, mid to late round two, just trying to get the advantage at that position. I think what we're seeing though is and a concern of mine was that these these smaller guys, these smaller guys and the rookies weren't going to produce. So the yep. fear with Laporta was that he was just below that threshold. It was that 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 six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds. He's like six three, two thirty-five or something like that. So he's just below that threshold where players produce at tight end. And the other thing is, you know, and we've seen this with Jake Ferguson and part of it is because, you know, Dalton Schultz is now gone, but it takes, you know, year two, three sometimes to, to come into it in the NFL. But I think that you look, you got to look at it, you know, kind of situation by situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got, you got to make your call. I, I've never been, I did it this year, much to my chagrin. I grabbed Waller in like the fifth round, a couple places. And it just, yep. it blew up in my face. So um, if you want to try it in a spot or two, I'm fine with it. But I think by and large, y- you really don't need to like, it's, it's one of those things where you'll be fine. If you'll be fine. If you stream, like I lost Mark Andrews in a league. Yeah. And Chig was my number two and I've been fine. Like there's Andrews was having his good spots, but like, Chig has come on a little bit and it's it's like if you go from Christian McCaffrey to if you go from the RB1 to the RB 40 15 catastrophic absolutely catastrophic yeah tight end 2 to tight end 12 tight end 14 not as catastrophic you can make it up so it's yeah I think that 
I think that people are going to revert back to what they always did at tight end, where if you're if you're a tight end early guy, if you're a differentiate yourself at the one at the onesie positions guy or girl, you'll stay there. If not, you'll revert back. Uh, I'm going to revert back for the most part. Where do you think Travis Kelsey is going to go next year? Is he going to be a round one pick, or is he going to fall to round two after the season? No, he'll fall to round two. He'll be he'll be tight end. Probably he'll probably be tight end four. I think Kelsey is going to be at least tight end. I think Kelsey's going to be tight end one still. You think? Yeah. If people now, are going to be I drafting TJ Hawkinson around two, Travis Kelsey is going to be drafted around two. I think that, well, it all depends. It depends on the Minnesota quarterback situation. If you get a rookie quarterback True. coming in, you know, you get a rookie quarterback coming in who isn't as comfortable in the NFL, then I think you got to downgrade Hawkinson just a little bit. But if you get if Kirk Cousins ends up back there, the pace that that guy was on, he was he was firing bullets all over the place. He was on pace for close to five thousand yards this year. So like, yeah. you know, to be able to be able to feed JJ, to be able to feed Hawkinson, to be able to feed Addison, like you need a, you need an experienced NFL quarterback to do that. Jen, you're yes. trying to troll. You're trying to troll us, Jen. Hey, uh, we. <laughs> I don't know if this is, there's any truth to this because you know I was just scrolling my Instagram and I saw this and it's a rumor. But apparently, because of Al Michaels' comments, something along the lines of like you can't let the sideshow become the show, that NBC isn't going to let him do any playoff games. Like he's, I still believe Al Michaels is the best in the business. He's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. I hate that he's stuck on the Thursday night games in perpetuity, but I guess got to got to follow that money. Um, They'll still let yeah. freaking Chris Collinsworth call playoff games, though. Ugh. I like Chris. I don't know. There's, there's for some reason I like Chris Collinsworth. I understand why he's cringeworthy for sure, but there's just something that's familiar with him for me, and so maybe it's more like more of a familiarity type thing. Uh, what's going to be interesting next year? Like Tom Brady is actually going to go into the booth right with Fox. That's still the plan. Yeah, as far as I know. Yep. So that'll yeah. mean I'm. I don't know how he'll be. I'm still. I I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Um, I don't think he'll be, I don't think he'll be great. I don't think he's going to be Tony Romo great. No, I don't. I don't either. I don't know. But hey, listen, I didn't think Tony Romo would be great, and he has been fantastic. And uh, Greg Olson also has been fantastic. So yeah, yep. Sometimes you just Pleasant don't spot. know. Oh God, here we go. So this is Jen. It's hilarious. As soon as my daughter sees Casey on the TV, she says, "Oh, mom, Taylor Swift has to be there, right?" Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So listen. So all the boomers out there, all the like, the, oh, oh, I don't like Taylor Swift. Uh, the NFL is about the cash, man. And it's always a good thing if more eyes are going to be on the NFL. And I don't think it's a bad thing. So listen, is it slightly annoying that the the game sometimes always goes to Taylor Swift and it's always cameras on Taylor Swift? Yeah, it's a little annoying. But does it really matter to me at the end of the day? Not really. Like, do what you got to do. If it's going to bring more eyes to the NFL, it's good for the NFL. It's good for the sport. Just let it happen, people. Just yep. let it happen. Yeah. Jen, and I tell your daughter... Say when the Eagles come on, say go Taylor's boyfriend's brother. There you go. Go Taylor's boyfriend's brother. And uh that's it, Mike. We're wrapping up the show. So we're it's gonna be a transition period. So we're gonna have a show next week. I'm not gonna be on the following week because I'm gonna be down in beautiful Los Angeles, uh bringing the family nice. down to Disney and Universal. So looking forward to that. But we'll try awesome. to make sure we get some content for you guys out there. Um yeah, and, and you know what? Listen, like just good luck into the fantasy football playoffs. This is the hardest thing to do is to get to the fantasy football playoffs. You're here, you've made it. And I think that you need to make sure you maintain a more of a DFS mindset when you're setting your lineups here, okay? I understand there's process. I still say play your studs. But when you're looking at those flex-type plays, 
you really have to understand it's a week to week at this point and you need to win the week this week. So if there's question marks around a player, I think just fade that player, fade that player. If that player is going to be injured, the worst thing in the world is starting a player, letting him get a zero because they, they leave early in the week. A player like Nico Collins, I think he was ruled. Like he said he's going to be out. He's officially questionable. Like Nico, you're not, you're not going to my lineup. Even if you're active by some miracle, you're not going in my lineup. So, that's it. Good luck. Let us know how you did in your fantasy football playoffs. Uh, hit us up on uh, on Twitter slash X at DFS Army and go crush some souls. For Mike, I'm Flex Shane, and we are the DFS Army Fantasy Football Show. Good luck. Sheesh. Every time, knowing that, no, that means my teeth, I got a lot of shine.